Mamas and future mamas out there, I just wanted to start by saying I am sending you all of my love and healthy, happy vibes. This can be a hard time for everyone, especially moms. And I am so grateful that you're taking time to listen to this podcast, and I hope that it brings you a little bit of light and joy. If you're enjoying what you hear, I would really appreciate it if you would share the podcast with a friend. I'm trying to reach as many moms as I possibly can, and I can't do this without your help. In addition, I would really love if you would take two seconds and just fill out a review, rate, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes. That way, more people can find us. Finally, I just wanted to remind you that if you check in the show notes of any of the episodes, you can find links to both of our sponsors, Hypno Babies for a 20% discount using Pumping Podcast, as well as the Kind Products. Check them out there. Now on to the show. This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, I have a discussion with Dina and Kira, two moms with very different backgrounds from the Raising Adults podcast. We chat about the importance of having a long view of parenting, where you focus on the values and character traits of that little human you're raising, and how you want them to positively contribute to the world. We shouldn't be focusing anymore on raising kids, because we're actually raising adults. These mamas have so many helpful tips and tricks that I couldn't stop talking to them. After you listen to this episode, go check out their podcast for more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So today I'm sitting down with two beautiful women, and I'm so excited to chat with them, especially because they have their own podcast, and I love connecting with other podcasts. Welcome, Kira and Dina from Raising Adults, a future-focused parenting podcast. Thanks for having us, Jessica. How are you, ladies? Good. Yeah, doing well. And you're both joining us from the West Coast, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're in the Seattle area. Yeah, we're in Seattle. Oh, okay. I love it out there. My favorite is um, I was on tour and I went to Voodoo Donuts, <laughs> which I'm sure you've heard about. Yes. Did you stand in a long line when you went? You know, we, we, we knew that that was a thing. And so we didn't, we saw it a couple times, but we were there for, I think a week or so. So we kept on kind of like circling back and when there wouldn't be a line, that's when we went. Smart, <laughs> very smart. So I'm so excited to chat with you guys because you, you've done something that's really different and unique and I love it. So your tagline is raising adults, stop raising kids, start raising adults. What does that tagline mean to you and how did it how did it come up? Yeah, well we both came to this work from different worlds. So Kira is a mental health professional and I spent almost two decades in the birth world and being a doula and a childbirth educator. And that's actually how Kira oh. and I met. She was also teaching some childbirth education. And what we noticed is there is, and rightly so, and I know a lot of your listeners have little babies, um, there's a real focus on that birthing day as there should be. It's a really huge thing and it's your baby's entrance into the world. And it also really sets the stage for your parenting journey. But what we noticed is there's a pretty big gap about how to prepare families for what happens afterwards, right? And that's the longer part. And yeah. so we became really passionate about helping equip families for the parenting piece and not just the 
the birth, to really get beyond the birth to what comes after. And you're right, what we do is a little unique because instead of as many parenting philosophies or courses do, instead of dealing with what's the issue right in the moment or squelching a certain behavior or just dealing with whatever crisis crops up, we really are helping families parent with the end in mind and thinking about raising an adult, not raising a child. And what is that adult you want to raise? What do they look like? What kind of character traits will they demonstrate? And so it puts this interesting spin on it because you're constantly parenting with this long range view and it can really help maintain your sanity in those hard years with little ones because you're, you've got this longer goal in mind. And we kind of joke about this, but there's some truth to it. We also get a little bit frustrated with the term raising children because we're trying to raise adults who are fully functioning and responsible and aren't 30 years old and on our couch, right? So right. <laughs> so that's kind of where that came from. Oh, so so you're talking about it from a point of view of raising the adults so that so that your children are becoming adults, not raising like the parent, not you being raised as the mom. Right. It's it's really about when you take a long view on your parenting and you think about, you know, I'm I'm raising this person into the world who's ultimately going to be hopefully a contributing member of society and have certain values and character traits and all these things that they give to the world and to their relationships. And who do we want that to be? And that's really, in our opinion, what parenting should be about. It's not about getting your kid to stop crying or stop throwing a tantrum. It's about what skills do I need to teach you so that that tantrum as you grow older turns into really effective communication. And so one of, we have like three pillars to our philosophy, but one of them is really having a strong why. And we really believe that when you understand why you're making the parenting choices that you're making, those hows become so much easier. And that is a long game. Sometimes the how of having to get down to my kid's level and walk them through a tantrum or maybe abandon a cart of groceries at the (laughs) store because they need my attention right now. That's hard. But when I have a strong why and I'm parenting with a long game in mind, that maybe 10 minutes of intense pressure and overwhelm is really worth it because long-term, my child is going to be developing the skills that I know they need for success as they grow older. That's so interesting and really cool. You hear a lot about find your why with everything, you know, with your career, even with your hobbies, with your relationships. I feel like very seldomly do we think of it from a parenting perspective. And that's really interesting. Yeah, that's just it. It was sort of this gap that we saw, just like I described earlier. So you're exactly right. And yet it is so critical. I mean, parenting is essentially really the most important job we'll ever do. We're responsible for helping shape a human. It's a big deal. So we really want to do it well and with some intention behind it. Yeah, I would hope so. So many parents are already, if you think about the birthing day as a great example, what Dina was talking about earlier, parents are kind of doing this with their birthing day, but but shorter term. They're thinking long-term. What are the long-term impacts of you know, using medication during birth? What are the long-term impacts of breastfeeding or not breastfeeding? All these same questions. They're already developing a why and playing the long game. So why wouldn't you apply that to all of parenting, not just your birthing day or the initial weeks, you know, early months of having a newborn? Yeah. Why would it just stop? That's such an interesting perspective. Before we dive more into everything, why don't you both introduce yourselves to my listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Well, I'm Dina Thayer, and 
I have, like I said, come to this work via the birth world, serving as a doula and childbirth educator, and also teaching sign language to hearing infants. That was another thing I did. And then that kind of morphed into starting to be on the back end with infant sleep consulting, which I really love. I'm really passionate about helping families get good sleep. And then it became more into the parent coaching with maybe just a specialty in the sleep stuff. And I also work with blended family issues and some other other dynamics with that because I'm in a step family myself and my husband and I have five kids between us who actually are on the older side now. We have as a whole crew of teen and young adult children and they are 16, 17, 18, 19, and 21. And I am thrilled to partner with Kira because she has this same eye toward the importance of parenting, but we also did share a unique bond in that we met a little bit in that birth world and then moved beyond it as we do parent coaching now. So it's been a real treat. And I'm Kira Dorian. Um, as Dina mentioned earlier, I'm a mental health professional and a childbirth educator. Um, and so I can I came to parent coaching via that world. Um, and so I'm very passionate about um, two things. I'm very passionate about helping parents who are expecting their first child take that long range view and talk through, hey, what are we going to need for success once our baby's born? How are we going to communicate and work together and actually become a stronger team instead of getting all grumpy and aggressive at each other and not communicating well and, and feeling like we're just drowning in it? I love having those conversations while people are still expecting because it sets them up for success in such a huge way. Um, and the yeah. other side, I specialize in helping families raise emotionally intelligent children. So how do we set great boundaries and still have a nod to discipline, but within that really leaving room for kids' feelings, how are we teaching them to talk about their feelings, process their feelings? Amal's about the feelings. Um, <laughs> I have um, eight and a half year old twins, uh, which I know we're going to talk at some point about motherhood, but boy, oh boy, they rocked, rocked my world. Uh, <laughs> that was not, they were not what I was expecting on a lot of different levels. And so, but they ultimately became my muse. So um, they're, they're cracking. I love them. They're great kids. So yeah, and I <laughs> love working with this woman, like Dina, I've, I basically met Dina before I even became pregnant because we were both childbirth educators and over the years was like, I'm going to find a way to make you mine. <laughs> <laughs> One day, and now I get to. So it's been like the culmination of years of trying to trying to make it work, and now we figured out how to do it together. It's been fantastic. Oh, that's special. So you are both mothers, and I want to go back into the past a little bit, just for a, a glimpse of time, and talk about what life was like before you both became mothers. Well, I am a super. Like we hear about type A people, that's I'm like type mm -hmm. A plus. So, <laughs> so my life before children was full of a lot of structure, a lot of go getting, a lot of how many things can I do at once? How many balls can I have in the air or plates can I keep spinning or whatever analogy you want to use? So it was super busy <laughs> with work and school and pursuing my degree when I was younger and then starting my, you know, my marriage and getting onto that path. And it, it was really interesting for someone like me because I very much see a, a, a clear line of demarcation sort of BCAC. So before children <laughs> and after children, because <laughs> if you're that structured and organized, like I like to be, 
let me tell you, having kids is going to sand off some of your rough edges for sure. So, (laughs) so I would say my life before children looked a lot neater and tidier, both literally and figuratively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, oh man, my life before kids was so different. So I'm, I'm a former actress. Um, so I lived in London for seven years working as an actor and a voice actor. Um, I got married really, really young. I met my husband when I was 21. We got married at 23. Um, so we've been married like forever, even though we were (laughs) little people. Um, and he's an actor and a director as well. So my life before kids in London was living in a itty, itty bitty flat um, in this fabulous artist community and doing theater. And we produced some of our own work and just, we were always, always in a show, always working on something. Um, and then we moved back to Seattle, which is where I grew up. So it took me like six years to convince my husband to move to Seattle with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like lumbered along in London <laughs> waiting for him to agree. Um, and so finally we agreed to move back. So we moved back to Seattle. Um, and then I became pregnant with the twins pretty quickly after that. Um, and it completely shut down my theater career, like mm. completely shut it down. And luckily I had been working as a mental health professional to kind of, um, you know, it was, it was my day job as an actor. Um, and so I just transitioned into that full time once I had the kids because theater just felt impossible. And it it was funny because we had joked, you know, we were both like these starving actors and we were like (laughs) older, like we should, if we're going to have kids, we should really do it now. And so we had said, okay, we're just going to have one baby. Like we can afford one baby. We could tag team at rehearsals. Like we had it all (laughs) one of us is in a show, like the other one will be on the kid. And, and we could even like maybe bring it to rehearse. Like we had it all planned out. Um, cause I'm type a minus. So I <laughs> also like, I'm a super planner and, um, and then surprise <laughs> the energies that be said, yes. not for you. <laughs> Let's give that one twins. Um, and, and it, like I said, it just, it rocked our world. And, um, I still do a, a ton of voice acting, so I still have like my finger in that pie, but, um, but yeah, I haven't been on stage. I haven't been on stage since. And now that they're so, you know, like eight and a half, it's like, they're still, they still really want us at bedtime. They still really. Yeah. And so I've kind of said, you know what, I'm just going to back burner that until they don't want anything to do with me anymore. And and then I'll go back to, <laughs> to perform. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you can never get this, this time back. Mm-hmm. So you so I'll take advantage while you can. Exactly. I'm too tired anyway. My bedtime is like when shows start. <laughs> exactly. I can't be singing at 8 p.m. It's case. <laughs> Isn't that true? Oh my gosh, that's funny. What were both of your pregnancy and birth experiences like? I had great birth experiences. And actually my work in the birth field came from my own first birth. I was so wonderfully supported by my midwife and her assistants. And it's worth mentioning, I actually had out of hospital births both times by choice. They weren't (laughs) accidental home births or anything. (laughs) Those those happened too. Um, And so I loved it. And I I felt so well supported that I thought, you know, I want to help other families do this. And that was actually when I decided to start my doula training. So it was really interesting. So I was doing it with an infant and attending births with a baby. And then I was finishing up my doula certification while I was pregnant with my second. So that was just wild. But my, my pregnancies were lovely. And I love this as just such a 
organized, tidy person, but this is my favorite fun little stat from my births is that I gained one exactly one more pound my second pregnancy and my son weighed one pound, two ounces more than my daughter. So it was like that extra pound was was actually baby. Yeah. (laughs) So so that was my, that was my little fun thing. So, but no, they were great. I had healthy pregnancies. I had wonderful prenatal care. And again, I just think we can't underestimate the importance of that support. I had great people alongside me, loved my midwife. And the second time I did not enjoy the car ride (laughs) in labor. So the second time I I hired the same midwife, but I had her come to me and I had a home birth and it was beautiful. I mean, in the, in the morning, you couldn't tell anything had happened in my house, except there was an extra person there. (laughs) There was a baby next to me. I mean, they did such a beautiful job cleaning up, which of course was important to me. So the funny part of my birth story is my doula, one of her main functions, and this is amazing because she's now a midwife, which is awesome. (laughs) But one of her main priorities is I asked, can you make sure my house stays how I like it? And I had even put, (laughs) I had even like put, that was my biggest fear with home birth. I'm not kidding. was the mess. I was like, oh no, what if my water breaks on the carpet? Like I I had all kinds of terrible fantasies, nightmares. And so I had even put little pieces of tape in the shape of like a V where the corners of my bathroom rugs should be put back. I mean, it was like, it was over the top. So she was basically the organization doula to help me maintain my sanity. And we still laugh about that. At Dina's house, would she have a baby? And in the morning, it would all look exactly perfect. (laughs) We had the system. We had a system. I was like, well, God was kind to me. My water broke in the toilet. I was, I mean, this went really great for me the best that it could have gone. It did splash a little on the walls. So I was like, to my husband, I was like, you need to get a, get a magic eraser immediately. He's like, it's just amniotic fluid. It's clear. I'm like, I don't care. So, so it was funny, but overall, they were very positive. My, my birth experiences were wonderful. The people around me were wonderful. And I just, I loved it. I, I would have totally done it again. Um, if the circumstances had allowed for that, but I, I thought it was great. So the only thing was I was totally neurotic about my house, my home birth. (laughs) And mine was a total disaster from start to even well past the finish line of the (laughs) I love the stark contrasts of both. Yeah. You get, well, you get one of each here. Yeah. Insert expletive here. Like it was disaster. Um, yeah. So I, I loved being pregnant. My pregnancy actually went really, really well. And with twins, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I never went on bed rest. I made it to 36 weeks and five days, which is pretty, pretty good. And I, you can't see me, but I'm a very, very small individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always the concern was I'm just so short that, you know, there's all these things that can go wrong when, when you're naturally short, like sometimes you have a shorter cervix and it doesn't hold the babies and, you know, all that stuff. And I just yeah. didn't have any of that, but the birth was just, I mean, I'll spare you the details, but it was a disaster. Um, but the biggest disaster was after the birth because they had been both of my kids had been cleared to come home and they were just keeping me overnight. And then overnight, both kids tanked and were taken to the NICU. Oh. Um, and the second one, when my son tanked, my husband was actually in the NICU with our daughter. She had gone first. And so he had to, when he came back to the room, I had to tell him that no one was going home. Oh. And that was really horrendous. And, you know, and we just had a really scary birth and I really, after the birth, I went into shock. And so when my husband went to the NICU, they had like a mandatory six hour NICU stay before they came back to us. Um, he, like we talked later and he was like, yeah, I, I was, I was scared to go to the NICU cause I wasn't sure you were going to be there when I got back. Mm. Um, very, very 
dramatic, like all the things you can imagine. The, the saving grace of the birth was that I had a vaginal delivery. Um, and that is a hundred percent thanks to my team. Um, I had an amazing team, which included Dina. She was my doula. <laughs> she was there with 23 out of 26 hours with me. Um, it was pretty impressive. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I the comp, the complexities of being a childbirth educator and teaching a natural childbirth education class and having your birth go sideways, I just remember even in the moment feeling like, what am I going to do? If I have to have a C-section, how am I going to face my students? Like, how do I have that conversation? Um, and I think ultimately it made me the a way, way better teacher and a way better person. Um, because suddenly you can see the both paths and hold both paths instead of being attached to one, which I think before my birth I was. So yeah, I kind of have shifted into a, a mentality of like, however they get here, <laughs> as long as they get here safely. Um, and 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 we've kind of made smart choices along the way. And you know, I want women to feel empowered in their birth. I think that's really important, but that sometimes can just swing so far to the other side of like now I'm a failure because I had a C-section. I never want a woman to feel that way. Um, so it was just such a I mean, I'm I'm just rambling because it was so complex. It was such a complex time. And then we had this two-week NICU stay, which we hadn't been expecting because we were told they were healthy, they'd done their little six hours and they were coming home, and now suddenly were upside down and we kicked out of the hospital. So we were doing this, what we call the NICU shuffle where we would go home, yeah. <laughs> all their stuff, right. That was there. And there were like no babies there. And then mm. we'd have to get up in the morning and go be with them. And then one came home sooner than the other. I mean, it was just a, it was a disaster of an entry into motherhood. And then I ended up having really severe postpartum depression afterwards, like unsurprisingly. Um, but of course, I am like Dina, I'm a go-getter and a, you know, achiever. And to be underwater in motherhood was so shameful for me. Um, and to be experiencing postpartum, it was like, it, there was just such a complicated time. I, that's the best word I can use to describe it. Looking back in, I guess this is specifically for you, Kira, but looking back on that time now, what's something that you might tell moms who are in the thick of it or who might find themselves in, in the thick of it like that to keep in mind? I think um, I wish that every mother could know their five-year-old in that moment, you know, like mm -hmm. when I had these little five-year-olds and suddenly, because things got so much better right around the age four for us with the two. Um, but five was this like magical age. I loved five. And I just remember at five going, if I had known it was leading to this, I, I it would have been so much better because I would have seen light at the end of the tunnel. But when you're in those early weeks and months and you're struggling, there is no light. It's so dark. And it's one long dark tunnel because your days are your nights and your nights are your days. And it's so hard to give moms what they actually need, which is this is your five-year-old and they're going to ask you this question and they're going to say, I love you, mommy. And it's going to sound like this. And it, their arms are going to feel around your neck. You know, if you knew those things, it would be, it would be a no brainer. You'd be like, I can do this. This is really hard, but I can do it. Um, but we don't have that yet. It's so challenging. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's what moms need. I just don't know how we give them that in those early days. Yeah. Well, I just think maybe hearing it from other moms is a little bit of comfort in those times. Yeah. I think there's such a stigma around struggling in motherhood. 
and that is starting to change, which is fantastic. Um, but it, it's almost become trite, you know, to be like, it's normal and, you know, give yourself a break and all these things. And, and they're true, but it's so much deeper than that. It's not like women are like intentionally not giving themselves a break. And it's like, oh, thank you. What I needed was to give myself a break. Like if they knew how to do that, they would be doing that. But we're so conditioned by the media. You know, it's like, it's like reversal that we're conditioned. The birth is going to be the most dreadful thing that ever happens to you. And that doesn't have to be true. Lots of people have Dina's experience, beautiful births and, you know, are empowered and come into motherhood like full force. And, and then the media portrays after the birth as like the unicorns fly and the rainbow out and everyone is so happy. And so we're just fed this from like being little girls. And then when our reality doesn't match that, there's just, it's just like built in systemic shame that, that has been built up over years and years and years, and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's like so backwards. So thinking of this concept that you guys focus on, which is raising adults, also tied into that is raising moms and mothers and fathers and families. But what are some things that you would tell somebody like me, who is not yet a mama, but a mama in training? Um, what are some things that maybe I should know before venturing into motherhood when I'm focusing on raising an adult? Such a good question. And actually, I think you're really uniquely positioned. I I would probably first say congratulations for thinking about this in advance. <laughs> Yay! I get the gold star. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's still, and it shouldn't, but I think still sometimes it's almost surprising to me that some people don't give this piece as much thought as as that birthing day. And so you you're in a great spot. And also people who might be listening, who are expecting, who aren't moms yet, there's really some things you can do in advance to set yourself up well. And I know Kira will want to piggyback because this part is really her jam. She does a lot of work with expectant families. But I would say now is the time to figure out that why. And if your parenting is part of a team, definitely talk with your partner about that. Get a really clear picture of who is this person that, that I'm trying to raise? What will they look like? when when I'm essentially, quote, done. I mean, we're never done as parents, but when they're out and on their own, what's that going to look like? What kind of person will they be? And a really good way to do this is to get really clear on what your values are as a couple, if you're parenting as a couple, or as a family, if you're going to have wider family involved in this, grandmas, aunts and uncles, sometimes there's even more care providers. And we really think it's important for those all those parental adult figures to be on the same page. And Kira and I, as we've self-professed our type A selves, have gone so far as to make lists of our family values, but we actually recommend that to think about what are the character traits that are important. Okay, in our family, we really value tenacity, for instance. So we're going to help our children move toward this idea of perseverance and hard work and not giving up at the first sign of struggle. Or in our family, we really value kindness. So I'm going to want to work really hard, if I, especially if I have more than one child, to set them up well as siblings and that they'll view each other as friends and that we'll work hard at problem solving and communication so that we can be kind and that we can share our toys and all of those things. So I would say the why and setting up the values are things that are so worth taking the time to do now. And the other thing that's so great for people who aren't parents yet, and it's hard to picture this when you're not in it yet, but you have time that you literally <laughs> won't have. I mean, there's it, there's not, it, this is what makes me laugh about the big, fat, thick parenting books for infancy. 
It's like when you have an infant, you're not picking up a 300 page book. Like where's the time for that? So, so doing it in advance and thinking through these things and working through them and chatting about them, it's a great time to do it because you actually have the time. You're clear headed. You're not sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. You can think through, okay, what matters to us? Let's, let's get really clear on that. So as we dive in, we've got a, a really objective thing to aim at. And I, we do so much better hitting a target when we know what the target is. So those are a couple things I would mention. And I know Kira has more, so feel free, Kira, go for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more with all of that. And then I, I'll just add on the three things that I do with every couple that I work with who are expecting that I think really can set them up for success. Like if couples do nothing else, they should do these three things. Um, the first one is um, you need to decide what everyone's job is going to be overnight. And everyone has a job overnight, um, including the partner. And I get really tired of hearing like, oh, well, he's going to work, you know, all day tomorrow. Guess what? So are you Yeah. and your boss is and you're not going to have a hot meal and you're going to be tired and leaking out your boobs. So I love that. And your boss is grumpy. (laughs) So, and can't, doesn't communicate well. I mean, your boss communicates in one way. They cry. So, you know, this is, everyone's working really, really hard. So overnight, like just the idea that someone's nursing, there are so many other things that happen overnight. So what is the partner going to be doing? Are we going to do shift work? Is partner going to be, you know, changing the baby and soothing the baby after the feeding happens? Um, You know, how are we going to work it so that everyone's involved and we don't end up with one person snoring for eight hours and the other one up all night? And then this resentment builds and that really can erode the relationship. So that's number one. Um, Number two is, I'm going to say this as quickly as I can, because it's a big exercise that I do, but um, I love to have couples figure out what are their, their really basic needs that make them feel human. So for example, for some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's a hot shower. For some people, it's just brushing their teeth. They're getting to go poop by themselves, you know, like whatever it is. And to discuss as a couple how the other person is going to help you meet that need every day. So for example, mine was a shower and my husband got up 15 minutes early for work every day. So I got a shower. Very simple, simple solution to my basic need getting met. I felt loved. I felt supported. I felt like I was part of a team. My husband needed to come home. He's an introvert. He needed transition time. So he needed to be able to grab a beer, go in our bedroom for 10 minutes before he became daddy. And imagine oh. if we had not had that conversation. He wouldn't know I need my shower. So he'd get up, he'd go to work. I'd be showerless and I'd be mad, right? And grumpy myself. And then he'd come home, he'd grab a beer and go into the bedroom to take his 10 minutes. And I'd be like, excuse me, uh, I've been with these babies all day. Or you would have approached him at the door, like, here's your baby and give Yeah, his arms would be like, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But when you have that conversation in in advance and you really think about like, what do I really need? And then it's just, that's just what you do to support each other. And you feel more connected, right? In your relationship, because you're supporting each other. And here's the thing, what you come up with before you have a baby, that might change. You might actually find you don't need a shower. What you really need is something else, but it's easy to replace that when you've already had the conversation. Having that conversation with a newborn in your arms is just so much trickier. And then the last thing is to have a plan for what you're going to do when you disagree, because Dina and I are really passionate about the the parenting team, as she said, being on the same page. And we don't want one parent undermining the efforts of the other, especially in those early 
months and weeks if maybe you're trying to get baby on some kind of sleeping schedule and then the other parent whisks in and like just undoes all the hard work that can be really like devastating so we want to be a team so having a plan for if we disagree what are we going to do are we going to table it for an hour are we going to try and problem solve it in the moment are we going to let it go for the evening and talk about it in the morning are we going to go with the person who feels the most passionately about it there's so many ways you can come at this but having a plan so that when that disagreement happens because it will throughout parenthood it does not stop there are always going to be markers in time where two people in a couple go huh that's not how I want to do that (laughs) what are we going to do so that we can be a team and get on the same page and when you do those three things not only are you just better set up for success personally you're better set up as a team to feel like you are in a couple that is thriving and working together and that's going to boost morale as well Oh, that is so helpful and so interesting. You know, it's funny because my husband and I have been together for um, almost 12 years, uh, but about 11 years now. And we've been married for um, two and a half. And so we've had a lot of conversations over the years. And especially it's been nice for us because we've been able to have these conversations, you know, in seeing what other families do and parents and how people parent and all this stuff. So it's kind of fun how things come up ahead of time. And we're fortunate to have that opportunity. But one mm-hmm. that we talked about was similar to what you were saying, but it was more so when the children are older and not when the children are infants, which is this, you know, disagreeing type of an idea. And we kind of came up with the idea that, especially when our kids, all the time, but especially when our kids understand us, you know, if, if there's something that one of us says, whether the other person agrees or disagrees, we agree in front of the child. And then in our bedroom behind closed doors, maybe before (laughs) bed, whatever we discuss. Okay. Now I didn't really agree with you with what you said. Why did you decide to do this? I would have done this, but you know, and then you have the conversation as opposed to one person says one thing, another person says another, you know, and you're not backing each other up. I, I said, you know, I think in the future, we always have to have each other's back, at least in the eyes of our children. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's so important that you at least are portraying a united front in front of them. And Kira, you should tell your story about the TV example. It's such a good one. Oh yeah. So one of my favorite examples of exactly what you just said, um, because that was very important to my husband and I, it was like, we will be a team and we will be a united front. And if we have to work hard to do that, we will. So one day he, the kids are like, I don't know, two or three years old. And at that time they got, you know, about 30 minutes of TV. And I really needed that 30 minutes. Like that was my time to like have a cup of coffee and go to the bathroom, take a breath. And he just came downstairs one day and in the morning, and it was one of my non-work days. So I was home and I was momming really hard that day. And he came home and he saw some behavior he didn't like and said, that's it no TV for the rest of the day and walked out the door and went to work. (laughs) And I was like swearing on the inside. And, and, but I had a choice, right? It was like, okay, so do I undermine their father and say, oh no, daddy didn't know what he was talking about and get my needs met, which is, it comes back to that long-term thinking, right? Which would really solve my problem in the moment. Or am I going to play the long game and know that they need to see that daddy and mommy are a team And am I going to follow through with his decision, even though that's a little bit harder in the moment, because my why of wanting them to see 
us as a united front and see what a healthy relationship looks like and how you back each other up and everything you just said, that was more important than my 30 minute break that day. So I stuck with what he said, like, I'm really sorry, but daddy said no TV today. And then of course, after they went to bed and he came home, some choice words were had in the- <laughs> You took away my 30 minutes yeah, of TV. I mean, let's just say it never happened again. <laughs> the other side to that too is like, I doubt he was thinking at that moment that the consequences would be taking away your time. You know, he right. was just thinking of parenting. So and, and the and the flip of that, I mean, here's another great example, and and then I'm going to shut up because I feel like I've been talking a lot. But um, is when they were older, I went, I took one of them to a barbecue. So my son stayed home with my husband, and I took my daughter to this barbecue, and it was at a lake, and she was swimming at this point, and my husband really wanted her to wear a life jacket, and I was like, she doesn't need a life jacket, she'll be totally fine, and he was like, no, she needs a life jacket, and we kind of went back and forth, and ultimately he was like, I really think that whoever's the most worried should win. Because I want to be able to feel relaxed knowing that you're taking her to a barbecue. And I was like, that's totally reasonable. That's totally fair. And so that became a rule moving forward that like the person who's the most worried gets their need met because they deserve to feel that their child is safe. So that's a flip of that. Yeah, I love that. So what are some conversations that people can find when they log into your podcast and have a listen? What kind of topics do you discuss? Oh my, Jessica, we cover such a wide variety. Yes. So, but I, I'd love to give you some examples and then tell you a little bit about the format too, because it really matches with our philosophy. So we cover literally everything from chores and manners and sibling relationships all the way to more philosophical issues like parenting with emotional intelligence or accessing our own, our own issues as parents, like we're having an episode coming out soon about how to work on yelling if that's an issue for you, if you struggle with raising your voice or, and we have issues on sleep and pregnancy and the birth itself. And we've even had uh, my midwife friend came on. And so we've had guests around that too, because we do think that piece is important as such an entrance, but then we have things that are even applicable as you go through and deal with parenting, even with elementary or older things like screens Mm. or handling, you know, when you're having maybe some back talk or some of those things that we might think could crop up later, but, but it's important to lay the foundation early. And what Kira and I do is at the top of every episode, we start with our why for the issue. So for chores, for example, we might have each, we'll each take a turn and say, here's why chores were important in our household and why it was worth it to set up a system of chores so that we're all working as a team. So we demonstrate for our listeners what future-focused parenting looks like and having a strong why as you tackle different topics. I love that. We talk about the importance of strong boundaries because we do believe in that. And we actually talk a lot about parents giving themselves permission to be the parent. That really, your job at the beginning isn't to be their pal. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you want to develop a beautiful friendship with your children later, you first will have to be their parent. But we do that within the context of emotional intelligence and parenting with empathy. So Kira likes to joke and say, I'm a really strict parent, but I really care how my kids feel about it. (laughs) So so we talk a lot about that. Like, let's put some scaffolding around what we're expecting and what are our expectations around their attitudes and behaviors. But within that, we really want to honor their responses to that and make sure we're also parenting with compassion 
and empathy because frankly, they will then respect us more because they see us as dependable and safe. And you know what? My parents really set up an environment where I'm allowed to have a voice. And and so it's really, and we've said this before on the podcast too, but we look for times where it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both and. And we really believe discipline doesn't have to be either strict discipline or a parent who cares about feelings. We believe you can be a parent who employs discipline with empathy and that there's a way to meld those two really beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think about it, it's like right now, what we see a lot of are the polar opposites. So we see these really strict parents, right. That have all these rules and all these boundaries. And then within that, there's actually rules and boundaries about, about the rules and the boundaries Um, and not a lot of room for the feelings. And then we have this kind of new age parenting that's really swinging so far towards feelings that the kids aren't ever taught how to behave in the world, right? It's like, you can just feel your feelings. If you, you know, you hit that child, well, that's because he was feeling a big feeling. Totally. Of course (laughs) he hit them because he was feeling a big feeling. Our job as parents is to help our children know that hitting's not okay. And let me help give you some tools so that next time you can express that feeling in a different way. That's setting up a boundary, but still honoring and teaching the emotional intelligence piece. So we really do, we, we try and find that middle ground because I think swinging too far in one direction or the other actually doesn't sort of raise those adults that we're hoping to raise. Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, true. I can't imagine hitting a child. And so I'm really fascinated by A, the people that do have a strong opinion about that and are for it. And then I just want to understand their reasoning why. Or on the other side of that, it's like other options that we have and how to kind of turn that around and just the conversation about that. I think that that would be just something interesting for me without kids to really open up a conversation and and just hear different opinions. Because ultimately, every mom and every family are going to have their own rules and their own way of doing and everything. And I'm not judging or mm-hmm. questioning anybody's choice on that. Um, but I just find it to be really, really interesting the way different people handle situations like that. I think it's so many, it, we all have to remember that no one's trying to mess up their kid. Right. So, <laughs> and like that, and I'm not saying that's what you were saying, at all. I'm just kind of thinking around some of the other hot topics because there's so many hot topics. There's like breastfeeding and sleep training and, you yeah. know, and all these different things. And it, it's, it's one of the reasons I think that um, people, our listeners like our show, because there's a lot of, we like the shopping cart method of like, well, there, you could do this, or you could do this, or you could do this, do this. And Hey, what works for you? Like, we don't care what your why is. We just want you to have one, you know, and one of the things that's kind of unique about our show that we should probably mention is that, um, so Dina is a Christian and I'm an agnostic Jew. Um, and so <laughs> it, comes up, it doesn't come up a ton, but it, it does come up that oftentimes we actually see things very differently. We disagree, but we still agree that the why and the how piece is really important. Oftentimes our why is totally different and our hows looked almost identical. Um, which is really telling, you know, so as she mentioned, we have this very wide listenership and that's part of it is that, you know, there's just a huge mix of people. Cause we have like, we like to joke, there's like Dina listeners and Kira listeners and <laughs> Jews of the world, <laughs> you know, um, but, it, but it's, it's true. It's like, there, there really is a, an opportunity. I love the, I guess what I'm trying to say is I love that you're even curious to have the conversation. And I think that 
I think that not a lot of people with any of these topics, I'm not just talking about, you know, spanking or hitting, but like, we have to have those conversations. We need to understand all the different ideas because then we can figure out what really resonates with us. Right. Right. Cause the other thing is too, I mean, just totally real. Like I've never been so frustrated and overwhelmed and in a um, postpartum state to know what might push me over the edge to even want to spank a child. You know what I mean? Like I've never been in that type of a situation. So I could be totally in another mindset, you know, when that day would come. But I think the other side to it too, is like every child is different. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was an only child brought up by a single mom. And for me, the worst thing in the world was being told that I had to go sit in the big orange chair and I couldn't move. Like that was enough, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I totally right. understand that there are kids out there that that's not going to be enough and they're just going to get up and walk away or they're going to hit you or they're going to, you know, lash out in other ways. And so I also want to respect the idea that I understand that, you know, I was the type of child that the big orange chair was enough, but the big orange chair might not be enough for every child. So I just, just find it so interesting. You know what's so great about what you're saying, Jessica, and that I feel comfortable saying Kira would agree with this, is that you are curious about people who think differently than you. And you're willing to admit, you know, I don't understand what I don't understand. And, and that is one of the things I love about our podcast, not just because I have a faith-based paradigm and Kira doesn't operate that way, but because when we maybe don't come at something a different way, one of the things that Kira is so wonderful at, and I definitely try to, is we ask a lot of questions. We get curious. So tell me more about that. I'm so interested in why you think that way. And I think in our culture and society right now, that's really missing where people get to hear civil dialogue, even between people who maybe don't see eye to eye. And so I love your attitude because we talk all the time about the importance of getting curious and being interested in other people's life experience too. Like Kira brings things to the table life experience wise that I don't and vice versa. And when we can admit that, we also interestingly often can find the place where there is some common ground. And so that's a really beautiful thing. And you are wise to think about that stuff in advance because you're also right. Like, oh, well, I, I can understand that there's also experiential pieces of parenting. I just literally haven't done yet. I mean, so it's so great. Like it just, it makes my heart sing to hear you say that because that's literally what Kira and I are about. And it's why our, our sometimes differing views, I think actually lend a really unique element to our podcast because people get to hear somebody who two people who like may not see it the same way, but yeah. come out still friends at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, really I'm definitely going to be going to be listening to your uh, podcast now and and learning even more. I'm excited to hear it. One thing that I heard on your episode recently was something that you have called group parent coaching. Do you want to just tell our listeners what that is in case they're interested? Sure. Yeah. So we offer. So we're parent coaches. We have private parent coaching. We work with families sort of individually all the time. Um, and I think we talked at the beginning about like our different areas of expertise. And I will say for your listeners that are literally pumping right now, um, <laughs> Ina is an amazing sleep consultant. And one of the things I love about the way she coaches is it's not prescriptive at all. Like she doesn't subscribe to a particular theory. She's really there to help families figure out what what 
are they comfortable doing to get some sleep? And she supports all the choices. And I just think that's amazing. So just a shout out, Dina. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. But um, so we have the individual coaching and then we have um, group coaching, which is like a weekly Zoom call with us. And we're just... Um, I'm not quite sure when this episode is going to air, but um, we've got one that is running April 7th to June 23rd. And so people can come in at the start of that. Um, And so we run them every 12 weeks or so. And it's just um, a weekly call and we kind of try and have like a loose theme for the week to kind of give ideas for people to think about for the week. But then people can come to the call and just ask their questions. And it's amazing because so much happens every week. Pretty much everyone has a question every week of something (laughs) going on. Um, And if you can't make the Zoom call, you can actually send your question in the night before and we will answer it on the Zoom call and then it's recorded so people can watch the playback and still get their questions answered. And then you get access to, um, there's a private Facebook group for our group coaching clients and they can interact with each other. And that's amazing too, because the community that exists there is really beautiful. Um, And then when you do group coaching with us, you know, it's, it's become significantly cheaper because you're not paying for that, you know, individualized, personalized hour of our time. Um, So it can, it can make for families that are comfortable in that setting, it can oftentimes make it a little more affordable as well. And so there are different rounds that you'll do. So after that April session, you'll start another session is that right? Yeah. There'll be probably another one in July. Awesome. I feel like I could sit here. I mean, time goes by so quickly, but I feel like I could sit here and chat with you guys and learn so much for hours and hours and on end, but I guess I should let you get back to your kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my very last question for both of you is now I know Dina, your kids are a little bit older, so I'm going to do this two different ways. Kira, my question for you is, what is something that you want to tell your boys now for when they're 18? And Dina, I'll ask you, what is something you want to tell your children now for when they want to have children? I have to pick one thing. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much. My sentence can have commas in it. You can have commas. Oh, it's going to be a, is it going to be a run-on sentence? No, let me chew on that. You go first, Dina. Okay. Well, it's interesting because since I have teens and young adults, I've started to walk a little bit into this phase of kind of handing off ownership of their lives from me slowly to them. And so as they get to the point where maybe they'll be going off and getting married if they find that in their future or having children of their own, I think the the biggest, I have three things I would probably say that are the biggest. So it won't be a run on sentence, but I, ha- I can't keep it That's to okay. one. So I think the first one is, is have grace for yourself because there are so many times in parenthood that for myself, especially as I learn to navigate parenting stepchildren along with biological children that I just really beat myself up where I was like, oh, I really chowdered that. Like that was a nightmare. And and it's amazing how often the things that feel like such a fail in the moment are not even on your radar in just a few months. And so I would probably want to remind them that parenting is just hard. And so leave room for, yes, we'll make a mistake. It's a when, not an if. <laughs> you will. But forgive yourself. Move on. Of course, do the repair work with your children. But give yourself some grace. That would be a big one. And then my second one would be 
at every point along the way, look for the things that you can hand off because children love to feel that they're gaining independence, not losing it. And so even if that's as simple as, oh, I see that they're capable of making their bed. You know what? That's going to be their job now or a little bit older. I see that they're capable of deciding when their bedtime is and then they can have the the consequences of that if they couldn't wake up in the morning for school. Whenever you see a sign of readiness, let them own that. And then the last thing is broken record, but I'm I'm going to encourage them to be proactive and intentional. Be thinking about what's coming up for you and try to get ready for it and be thinking about your why and your values. And whenever you can, avoid what we call whack-a-mole parenting. Don't just put out the current fire in front of you. Try to anticipate as much as you can what fires might be coming and have your hose at the ready. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Rather than the other way around. So that's probably what I would say. Give yourself grace, hand things off as, as you can, and go forth with intention and being proactive. Okay. I'm cracking my, my knuckles here. Here we go. <laughs> Get ready. All right. So this is to my, my kiddos, right? They're 18. What do I want to say to them? Yeah. All right. Reese and Rhiannon, number one, you can't get through life without making mistakes. So get <laughs> used to and figure out how to have grace for yourself. Number two, the secret to happiness is being able to hold the hard stuff and the good stuff at the same time and not be surprised by either one. Number three, I did the best I could and the rest is between you and your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> number four I do not have the words for how much I adore you and how much you have brought to my life thank you for being my muse for rocking my world and for making me the person that I have become today there you go okay I swear I did oh. not give her these questions ahead of time <laughs> you just came up with that in two minutes wow that was really beautiful thank you Sorry for the commas. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. you can add so many commas. It doesn't matter. It's from the heart and that's all that matters. And did you oh, hear the theme, Jessica? We both mentioned grace. Yes. That's what yeah. I was going to say too. Yeah. Parents are hard on themselves. Yeah. All the time. You can't get through life without, we're big fans of normalizing stuff for kids. And that's one of my favorite phrases is like, oh, you were embarrassed. Totally. That makes sense. You know, you actually can't get through life without being embarrassed. Oops, you hurt a friend's feelings. Ah, oh, that's that stinks. But you know what? You actually can't get through your life without doing that. Oh, and so you know that was totally why I giggled because I was like, oh, you can't get through life without. It's a favorite phrase. I love that. You can, I'm gonna write that down. Oh my goodness, this has just been so wonderful, ladies. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy days and mamas out there listening, make sure you go check out these beautiful women at Raising Adults Podcast. I'll also put all of the links to um, their Instagram, of course, their website, their iTunes, everything um, on my show notes. So check those out and reach out to them. Also, we'll put links and information about the group parenting coaching um, if anyone's interested in that. But I'm just so grateful for the advice that you shared with me and I can't wait to keep listening and learning more and more. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jessica. You're welcome. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms. And I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.